the studios at Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, April 2nd. We are now in Masters Week officially here. 2018, it is here, and we welcome our friend Ryan Ballinger from uh, Golf News Net back to the show in his usual spot. Hello, sir. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I am good. Um, it, it's a big, uh, it, it's a big moment. It's a big part of the week to get to Monday at the Masters, and Tiger chipped in on number two, and all's right in the world. It, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's simultaneously a back to the future and, and a clear look forward, and this is one of those, I, I feel like it has the potential to be at least one of those kind of cross-sectional, intersectional Masters in that you know a generation could be handed off here or... Uh, maybe the prior generation has a chance to kind of recapture itself for a minute. Um, with, I mean, you've got guys who are right about 40 or in their 40s who can do this, and you've got guys who are in their early 20s who could do this and take off in, in another direction once again and continue taking in the direction it's been going uh, the last year or so. So it, it, I, there's just so much hype, and it's, it's kind of hard to believe that it won't live up to it. A lot has happened since... You were last on the show, so let's walk through this uh, basically chronologically. Um, DJ almost aces in a, a par four and dominates the tournament of champions. That was the first thing that happened. If he drives it that way this week, uh, he and, and Rory will be tough to beat, but that's for later in the show. Um, then we had a Golf Channel strike that led to some of the oddest golf coverage we'll ever see on American television. And then we started this run of winners, this just remarkable run that started with Jason Day at Torrey, Ted Potter beating DJ at Pebble, Bubba at Riviera, Justin Thomas in the playoff at Honda, um, uh, Phil in Mexico, Paul Casey at Valspar, Rory at Bay Hill, um, Bubba again at the match play, and then Ian Poulter yesterday just putting on an em- emotional show down the stretch. Of all those things, and the Golf Channel strike and Patton Kazire's win um, at Sony and John Rahm's win at um, the uh, Career Builder lumped into that. What of. Uh, 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 let's start here. Golf Channel strike. Patton, Rom, Day. What stood out to you about that stretch? Uh, I mean, I guess the strike. I mean, that was remarkable. Like you said, it's, it's a television broadcast. We're probably not going to see any yet again until, well, you know, if there's another golf channel that ever springs up the first time they do it, I guess. Um, <laughs> and that was remarkable. I, I think it, it's easy to overlook Pat Kazire winning for a second time in a couple of months' stretch with a month off in between. But that was remarkable for him, you know, to go from a guy who had three wins on the Web.com tour to second out the gate, getting got by Smiley Kaufman, and then just kind of hanging around for a couple of years, and now starting to figure it out. But I love watching him play. And I think Rom winning again in the United States was important. Um, you know, it was one of the, uh, yet again, another marathon playoff. But... It was important for him to be able to win in the United States again and kind of cement himself as a guy who can win anywhere, anytime, even though he's fallen off since. Um, 
but like you said, I, I think Rob winning. At, I mean, right at two after DJ. So, I mean, from the start of the year, we've had just rock solid winners throughout. And that's why we have a Masters field of eighty-seven players because the, the guys that are winning were the guys that were doing great last year too. Yeah. Last several years. So I think that's really the remarkable thing to me is that we have a Masters field under ninety, which is. Kind of unheard of in this day and age. We're going to have the possibility, depending on how the 10-shot rule comes into effect, where almost everybody could make the cut. That's absurd. I mean, you you take away the Larry Mises of the crop, but basically there's a chance that, what, I would say 75 to 80 of these 87 players could make the cut realistically? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, you look at the amateurs, you look at the older winners. That's made, I mean maybe 15 guys. So, yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. You can have 70 players make a cut, top 50 in ties. Uh, I mean, you're gonna, you would have to have some kind of insane tie for, like, 50th place. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, that's right, top 50, not top 60. You know, something yeah. ridiculous, but you could still do that. I mean, that's still possible, um, especially if the scoring gets bunched up. You never know. I mean, you could have a 15-way tie for... 50th place, you get 65 guys for the weekend, there's no MDF, I mean, everyone finishes, so, uh, if you make the cut of the Masters, so, it, it, there is the potential for a very large weekend field. Which is crazy. Um, one last thing on the Golf Channel strike, or, or actually two things on that before we move on. Number one, they got the worst luck with, with those two marathon playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Sony and uh, Career Builder, that's the last thing... Uh, those guys needed and just kudos to that Golf Channel crew in Orlando I mean not only do you have a situation where you have a marathon playoff you've got studio guys calling it I mean that that, that, that was just absurd I mean that will go down as just one of the more bizarre stretches of golf we'll ever see on American television number two you did some digging on this if I'm not mistaken did the union get uh, um, everything they wanted as much as you could tell I don't believe that they got everything that they wanted, but they got enough of it to approve it. Um, they weren't going to get everything that they wanted because by the point of doing this was to kind of put them at a disadvantage at the fringes of their coverage area, you know, being an island in Hawaii and the Bahamas and then out, out in California. So at that point, that was really the end of their run. It could be because then CBS takes over. Yeah. They were in all of the production for all of their events Thursday to Sunday. It's just not all of their on-air personnel on Thursday and Friday. So at that point, you kind of ran out of steam. But the union got a, a fairly good chunk of what they wanted. So from that end, it was a positive development for them. All right. You and I sat here in December and I don't think we expected uh, well first of all we, we thought Tiger playing Hero was a mistake <laughs> which is laughable now if you if you listen back to the audio from us in, in December what we said you and I Ryan was, was pretty laughable in hindsight um, and instead we got a Tiger who looked great in December looked uh, scrambled the heck out of himself at Torrey, uh, putted atrociously for one day at Riviera, and then looked like a changed man at Honda, and then a wholly different person at Valspar and Bay Hill, and suddenly is a legitimate 
favorite at Augusta. What an absurd stretch. I mean, we went from just please be healthy, stand up straight, to he still can't hit it straight, but the short game's back. That's nice. He can actually practice that. To, okay, we've got something to fastest club head speed of any golfer on the PGA Tour in 2018. What the heck? Yeah, I, uh, he can't explain it. I, I certainly can't. Um, he, he says he's a walking miracle, and I'm, as best I can tell, that's <laughs> the best explanation we've got. Uh, the, these kinds of surgeries, these spinal fusions, they do seem to create kind of instantaneous pain relief, and, and they do hang on for a long time. I mean, there's a reason it's called a fusion. Uh, unless you do other unrelated damage to your back, it, it should hold, and, and basically it comes down to your comfort level of what you can do with it. And obviously Woods has felt very comfortable doing his thing and taking full rip-on cuts at it at 120 miles per hour and at times a little bit more than that. If you can swing the golf club 120 miles per hour and hit the center of the base with a driver uh, and you get 1.5 smash factor, you're going to have 180, mi- 180 mile per hour ball speed. And that's going to get you a long way. That's going to get you every bit of 320, 330. And he's struggling to find fairways. I understand that. He's struggling to find a shot shape that he feels comfortable hitting. He wants to, he wants to hit it both ways. But at Augusta, so long as he can get the ball out and play and get it out there 290 or 300, he's not going to find himself ever really in all that bad a position. Uh, even on a 11 where you know it's a 510-yard hole, but it's downhill, and you're not really playing to the pin anyway most of the time. You're playing just to the right edge of the green. So even with a long iron in hand, that's not a bad play. I don't really see, other than maybe six or seven times around, where he wants to hit driver. Does he have to? Not necessarily. But if he can hit him on the five, you know, hit him on the par five successfully, and hit, maybe hit one in 18 since that's uphill, and... I guess five, if he feels like it, you don't have to, but he could, then that's really the extent of it. And he can get around otherwise without it. And like you said, his short game has looked outstanding. Putting looked terrific. Unless that mysteriously blows up in his face, as long as he can keep the ball in play, there's no reason to believe he can't win. And that's uh, a pretty stunning turnaround from, like you said, the conversations we were having around the turn of the year where all you hoped was that he was not going to make a fool of himself and not fall down to a crumpled heap. And man, how that's changed. Seriously, it's it, it's a whole different story. All right, this is a nice segue into three off-the-course issues that have cropped up since you were last in the show. Tiger's distance um, and insane distance has put a real spotlight on distance and driving the ball and rolling back the ball and... This really came to the fore in the in the interview Tiger did with um, Sargino Oriema. And then Jack commented on it and it started this whole uh, snowball effect. You did, and I encourage people to do this because it's a, it's a much longer topic than what we have time for here on Teeing It Up on, on, on Golf News Net, to read the piece you did. You looked at the golf ball rollback as if we were at step one not step 46, which is where a lot of us are right now, where we have these opinions on it. As, as best you can summarize, what what did you take from your uh, step one investigation, so to speak? 
Well, I've, I've always been a, not always, but I mean, we can go back to 2005 or six. I can find writing I've done on the internet that's still around of me calling for a rollback of the golf ball. Because you could see at that time that the golf ball had gone 25, 27 yards farther uh, in terms of total driving distance compared to even five or ten years before. And it says there to be a looming problem in the long haul, especially if you kind of continue to go at a ridiculous pace. Now, there started to be a slowdown at that point, and we kind of got to this level for the last ten years or so where the, the distance gains were nominal, you know, half a yard a year. Not a lot. And over the last couple of years, we've seen substantial increases from PGA Tour players in terms of carry distance off the tee, but the average distance really hasn't changed. So I've been arguing this point all along where we have to roll back the golf ball. This is how we have to do it. Here's what, here's what I believe in, bifurcation and all that stuff. I said, well, I've been arguing this for so long. Maybe I need to reevaluate my argument and try to hit reset as best possible for everyone involved to look at the data and say, all right, well, here's what the data tells me. And the data tells us pretty much that the golf ball is about, you know, 15 to 17, maybe 20 yards worth of, of a debate here, um, probably 15 yards worth of it, the 30 yards that we've seen across the PGA Tour. And then you know, another 8, 9, 10 yards turns out to be just better awareness of the golf swing, that the use of TrackMan and other launch monitor products and better health tracking and all that stuff uh, – we, we have a better idea of how the swing works, how, how to be efficient. And so guys have dramatically and quickly figured out how to be more efficient with the driver. So they're gaining eight and nine yards off the tee because they just know how to hit it better. They just know the right launch conditions for them. That's stuff we didn't know even 10 years ago. And then there's kind of other parts of it that are relatively minor. You know, athleticism has very little to do with the increase that we've seen in overall distance because guys swing it about the same. So they may be in better shape, but they're not swinging it faster. doesn't matter if you're in good shape. You swing the same, but that's the most you're going to get out of it. Um, and then they can kind of throw in other components about better driver heads, better shafts, better grips. Um, you know, all the components that go into golf clubs are a little bit better. So that accounts for some yards. So it's not just one thing that accounts for what amounts to 26, 27, 28 yards per player over a 20-year stretch and a 17-year stretch. It's a lot of different things. And if you look at it through that prism, then you can say, okay, the ball is not everything. But if you're a pro rollback some arguer or if you're a pro bifurcation person, then you say the easiest conduit to rolling back distance games is the golf ball because it's used on every shot. You can't undo learning. You can't teach, unteach people how to make a more efficient golf swing. And if you try to limit other components of golf clubs, then it, it's just going to be too difficult to do. So if you're in that camp that you believe that the golf ball needs, or the, the, the PGA Tour players, because frankly, LPGA players don't see the same distance increase. If you think PGA Tour players need to, to drive the ball not as far to preserve championship tests and their architectural integrity and all that stuff, then 
the argument can only be you have to roll back the golf ball, but it's not everything. And you probably have to create two different sets of rules, one for pros and one, one for amateurs. And yet still here we are, not too long after that piece that you know was pretty well received, but that doesn't mean everybody who's involved in this argument read it. And everyone still kind of has a, is having three or four different arguments with each other. So I guess what the, the takeaway for me is, can the RNA and the USGA get together on one side, I guess the PGA of America, PGA Tour on the other side, and figure out a way to try something? If they're going to do it, they're going to do it, the USGA and the RNA. And will that lead them down to a path of oblivion or not? Uh, that. That remains to be seen, and probably some of those discussions will be had this week at Augusta National. So I, I expect we'll hear something from the USGA and the RNA, not this year, but I think in 2019 we will hear something. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see how things are received uh, once that happens. I believe the whole track man, better knowledge of the swing, etc. argument, that's the Roy argument, correct? Well, yes, in part, but he also recognizes that the golf ball is a big part of it. But I think a lot of the guys on tour would just tell you they're better they're better athletes than they used to be. And, and Trackman does certainly have a part of it. I don't think as many players would say, oh, it's just Trackman. Most of them want to admit that it's themselves, that, that they themselves are better athletes and therefore hitting it farther. And frankly, the science just doesn't prove them right there uh, in most cases. Uh, and as I said, Golf News Net for Ryan Balanji's full piece. It is really fascinating, and I thank you for, for giving us that explanation on here. Speaking of the USGA and the RNA, they've released the final rules modernization for 2019. That goes into effect when Ryan Seacrest counts us down on December 31st. Was, um, was anything that came out of the final, um, uh, final rules, which was some relatively minor adjustments, uh, uh, did any of that stand out to you? Overall impression is that it's great that they went through with what they said they were going to do. They were going to make the game simpler. They were going to eliminate a lot of the dumb things in the rules. I mean, you're going to be able to ground your club in hazards, which is, as somebody who's played this golf game for a long time, unfathomable, which is pretty wild. I could putt with the flag sticking off on the green. That's crazy. Um, you know, grounding. Uh, I mean, just where you can ground your club, the the way that you can drop a little bit more liberally uh, without worrying about exactly where it's got to be and how you take relief is simplified. The one thing I was surprised about that came out of the final recommendation was sort of a, a bifurcation of sorts. And I, I don't know if this is on purpose or some kind of troll job or what, but the ability for a committee or a local tournament organizer to have a local rule for competition where if you hit the ball out of bounds or you can't find it, you could take a two-stroke penalty and drop the ball and perhaps even drop it in the fairway. I thought that was uh, really a, a great way of making golf a little bit faster, especially at the club level. And ironic, uh, not ironic, funny enough, it's something a, a buddy of mine, Matt Savage, who runs the World Poker Tours events, has done for years with friends playing golf. He calls it the savage rule. So if you hit an OB, you drop it in the fairway where you think it went out, you take a two-stroke penalty and move on with your life. And uh, he, he could not have been happier for that to have come along. 
But I, I think things like that, kind of intelligently assessing penalties and moving on, that's really what this this set of rules changes does, and that last-minute change is consistent with that, and I, I was very happy with it. Um, the stroke and distance thing, first of all, have you ever seen anybody take the walk of shame in recreational golf? I never have. Have you seen ever seen anybody do it? Not recreate. I mean, I've done, I've done it in tournament golf, but never right. recreate golf. Right. So, so there has been bifurcation for, for a while, and now this makes it legal. Not everybody took the two-stroke penalty. A lot of people took one, but that does make that clear. The, the thing that I'm confused about from the final change, and maybe you can elaborate on this, um, why did they eliminate the penalty for double hits? I'm not sure. I was surprised about that one. Um, you sh- I mean, I, I feel like, hey, it's, you, you hit the ball twice. That's, the penalty is you hit the ball twice, so it should be two strokes. You get the one that, the, the second one, effectively, is your shot, and the first hit is a is a penalty stroke. I'm surprised that they got rid of that. I, I'm yeah. surprised, actually. Yeah, it's, um, I, it just didn't, if you hit a chip twice, I don't know, at least I feel you should be penalized for that, but. Yeah, I, I that's just me, and that's why I'm not Thomas Pago and David Rickman, and why I don't make rules, and 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 the rest is history. The third involves the the third thing I want to talk about involves the LPGA. Who's <laughs> had a quirky run of things happening in majors for them? They've had issues with weather, with 54 holes, with not going to Monday, there are all sorts of weird things. Today, or sorry, yesterday, at the ANA Inspiration, they ended up in a three-woman playoff, playing a par five over and over again four times, and then darkness fell, and they brought out floodlights, and we were using floodlights at a major. Um, I, to me, it was fascinating television. I mean, look at Trackman Tracer saving the day to show how Dark, it really wasn't helping us see the darn golf ball. And then floodlights. What a concept, Ryan. I know that the LPGA in some circles got ridiculed for doing all of those things in a major championship. And that if you just come back tomorrow. And, uh, and I heard some of that from Alex Vitelli and Jim McCabe and a couple of the guys at Golf Channel. And I kind of push back on that because Pernilla Lindbergh and Indy Park said they wanted to keep playing. Yeah, exactly. So the LPGA did everything that they could to accommodate that, the LPGA and, and IMG. And they set up floodlights and they made it made them happen for a, for a one more hole, for a fourth hole. And I, I'm fine with that. It was, it was kind of cool. It was. But it was cool. I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, it's, things like this don't happen every day. No. And, it was only, the, I think, the eighth playoff in the tournament's 47-year history, and it, it was just different. It was the first three-woman playoff. It was the first one to go to Monday, and it was the first one. And, and when they completed the fourth hole last night, it became the longest in tournament history. So this just has not happened at this event. Right, and, and then for the people who push back and go, well, they should have planned for this better. You know, they should have saved, set this up better. How many four-hole playoffs, how many, how many playoffs go more than one hole? How many playoffs go more than two holes? Not many. We just had a weird year of massively long playoffs. <laughs> yeah, after you get to, I mean, after three holes, you're in pretty rare territory in terms of professional golf history. They went eight. 
and it took another four on Monday. And it was, the golf was, I mean, nervy at times, but the there was never a bogey. No one bogey. I mean, I think between them they played three under golf for eight holes each. Or, or two under golf, two under and three under, excuse me, respectively. That's great golf. That's, that's a great playoff. And uh, I thought it was highly entertaining. And, it, and we would, I mean, if, if that were the Masters, yes. and they had to play 18 under floodlights to try to get, to try to avoid Monday, everyone would just be salivating. So only because it was the LPGA did it draw that kind of criticism. And I, I find that unfortunate. But the quality of golf was really high. I was entertained. And I think that's all you can ask for. I totally agree. We're talking to Ryan Ballinger here on the Masters Preview of Teeing Up with Jeremy Schilling. As we get back towards Augusta, we'll make a pit stop in the second major of the year. How did you feel about the U.S. Open 18-hole playoff being reduced to two? I'm I'm torn. I'm fine with a multi-hole aggregate score playoff. I think that's the right way to do it. You can learn in three, four holes what you're going to know about a round. And you don't need 18 holes to tell me who's a better player. You need just a few. Uh, I, two is a weird number, though. Very, in my mind. I would have gone three. It works fine at the players. It works fine at the PGA. It's a nice number. And they had that already. Yes. They had that as their playoff aggregate score format for the women's open and senior open. Yes. So they sat down and decided, you know, we're going to get rid of the 18-hole playoff for the U.S. Open. Let's just scrap out that three-hole playoff thing that's worked well for us. We're going to go to two and be weird. I don't understand. I don't understand why we now have each men's major with a different playoff format. (laughs) We have sudden death, two-hole, three-hole, and four-hole. And that's why some people said they even did it was just to be different because it's the USGA. Right, I'm certain. I'm almost certain that's why. And they just wanted to be up and back, and, and you know, because they don't want to be the PG of America. You know, they don't they don't want three holes because then they did it first. So we we do two. That that's horrible. But that also means less likely, I guess, that the Masters is going to go to an aggregate score playoff because then they don't want a five hole playoff. So. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there. I, I appreciate that they want to cut it down from 18 holes on Monday to two holes as quickly as possible, especially with you know Fox airing most of the opens in prime time, and they want to get it done. They want to get a winner on Sunday. I appreciate that, but two holes is weird. I think uh, I think Augusta will go to the Amen Corner um, playoff. It, it's a point playoff. Because it, it's the second shot on 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 eleven, you know, twelve, and then the tee shot on thirteen. Closest to the pin on uh, eleven is one point. Whoever uh, wins on the twelfth uh, hole is a point if you tie it to half. And then the longer, straighter tee shot on thirteen is the deciding one. That's what they'll go to. <laughs> Just like drive, chip, and putt. Yes, exactly. Which is a wonderful event, by the way. On, uh, on 11, the drive competition. On 12, the chipping competition. And 13, the putting competition. Y- yes, Remember, exact. exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes, have fun with those swells on 13. Um, 
Okay, let's get back towards Augusta. We're going to play a little game here because the, the golf has just been so good. So we're going to run through a bunch of big names, and you're going to tell me if you like them or if you don't. Let's start with Phil, who I think both of us would agree. Well, sorry, both of us would agree we didn't know what to expect for Phil for many years. But he gets his health ironed out. He gets his game back on track. He gets confident, and lo and behold, he, he, he wins in Mexico and now goes to a place that, that gives him tingles every time he drives down Magnolia Lane. Is Phil legit or not this week? I, I think he's completely legit. I mean, I don't... From the moment that he was under pressure to exit the top 50 in the world for the first time in 25 years, he has been nothing, but, nothing short of uh, incredible. And... The only reason we haven't been talking about him more is because he really isn't... I mean, he played Houston last week and sprinkled in a bunch of triples and doubles in the quad <laughs> yes. just to make sure he didn't win. But, yes. uh, but he, he played pretty good golf overall. The match play was not bad golf. He just didn't get out of the group uh, because of Charles Howe III playing so well. And uh, He was off the previous two weeks. So, I mean, I've... I think he's in great shape. I mean, what other 47-year-old guy do you think is one of the five best players, five contenders to win a major championship? Uh, there aren't many of those guys going around. So uh, he knows this place as well as anybody, and he knows what it takes to win a major as well as anybody that's in this field. So why not? I mean, I just, why not? I think he's completely legitimate to win. Justin, I'm sorry, uh, let's go in order here. Um, Bubba Watson wins Riviera. Uh, 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 so let's go backward. Bubba wins Riviera in the match play. Look, he loves that place. I, I said it. I've, I've, I've said it. I think on every Masters preview show I've done. The move to Volvic may go down as one of the worst equipment decisions in golf in the last 25 years. I don't know why he did it. I don't know why a golf ball looking cool should lure you in. But he, he got his mystery health issue ironed out. He's, he's got his ball issue ironed out. And he's Bubba Watson again. And he's having fun with life. I think he will finish no worse than third this week. I, I wouldn't... There's just so many good players in the field. You could probably pretty get pretty easily get eaten up and lost in the shuffle. That, that, that is fair, too. Bubba Watson has 11 career PGA Tour wins. Five of them are at Riviera or Augusta National. <laughs> we pretty well established a link over the years. Yeah. Not permanent, not total and complete, but there's a pretty good link between guys who play Riv well and guys that play Augusta National well. And so I find it hard to believe that Bubba Watson isn't going to be up there in the end. The only thing I ever worry about with Bubba, at least at Augusta National, other majors, I kind of write it off completely because it's not his bag. But at Augusta, the only thing I ever worry about with him is his mental fortitude because he can get disinterested or discouraged really easily and it can just take one shot or one hole to ruin an entire week for him. He has a hard time bouncing back at times. He slumps his shoulders really easily. So if he can avoid that on Thursday and Friday and arguably Saturday, then Sunday I expect him to be there. So it's got to be all there mentally, but he's got all the tools right now. He's playing great golf. Um... Rory goes on that torrid run uh, down the stretch at Bay Hill. Um, just about the same time Tiger hit at OB. Um, I, look, 
he's somebody who he gets a putting tip and it works for a stretch. How long is that stretch? That's the big question when it comes to Rory. I think he'll be up there this week. I don't know if he'll win, but I think this is legit. He's driving it well. He's healthy. And if Brad Faxon's wisdom uh, works, maybe he'll stay. I think we get carried away when Rory has a good putting week. We all go, man, if he did this every week, he would win 20 times every year. He would dominate the world, which would be true. <laughs> but Rory McIlroy doesn't putt that way. That's not who he is, and that's not who he's ever going to be. He's almost 30. That's not, he's not who he is. It's not who he's going to become. He is who he is. So we have to kind of separate that great run at Bay Hill as just an outlier, an, an amazing outlier, but an outlier. So what is is normal putting? Not very good. So it just has to be serviceable. It has to be slightly better than normal for him to be able to win the Masters. I think he can do that. I, I certainly believe he can do that. And he's comfortable being in position at a major and comfortable being in position at the Masters. He's been there each of the last, what, four of the last five years, basically. But he's never been there with a chance to really win. He's been there with a chance to have a high finish. So if he gets there on Sunday, will he suddenly be spooked knowing he actually can win instead of just looking at the board going, yeah, T5, but I have no chance to catch that guy who's going to win. I'm very curious how that'll look. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Certainly how... His game holds up under the pressure. I will interrupt you. Uh, sorry, interrupt this sequence because I just find this fascinating I, and I just want to uh, say this before I forget. Are you aware of the Dubai Desert Classic secret to picking somebody this week? So, yes, I've heard of that. And I feel like Danny Willett is probably, if Danny Willett is part of your case for why <laughs> something should happen. <laughs> That probably doesn't hold up. <laughs> I, I I am with you. This was said on on my show by my buddy last night. I just thought it was interesting, but you do have a point. Just saying, nothing against Danny Willis. Good on you. You've got a master's, and I, and I don't. But um, you're 500 to one this week, and barely in the top 500 in the world. So I I just have a tendency to think maybe we oversell that one a little. We've got a lot of evidence for Riviera. We have less evidence for Dubai. Yes, there you go. Um, I love Justin Thomas this week. He's my pick. His game's sharp. He contends every week. He just has a good swagger. He's playing practice rounds with with Tiger, which just is his thing. He loves it. It just it feels good to his soul. Um, I love JT this week. I mean, he's the best player in the world right now. Yep. And better with the world ranking says he's the best player in the world right now. So, can he live up to that? Can he live up to the fact that everyone knows he's the best player on the planet, including himself, and that he's going for a second consecutive major, and that he's been in the thick of it in every tournament he's been in, basically through the month of March, and even, you know, with, and with Mexico. Or does he cave in on the pressure on a golf course where he's starting to figure it out, but he's still got probably a little bit of work left to learn in full. 
uh, that, that's a big ask, but he's done some tremendous things this year. He's my pick in one and done. Um, I, I do like his chances tremendously, and I think he's kind of being disrespected because of the other players in this field that maybe have better overall Masters results than he does. But you can't argue that he's not the best player on the planet right now. He just is. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, I, I personally think that he'll win this week because he wants to go back on the No Laying Up podcast, and he can't go back on that podcast until he gets a green jacket. <laughs> it's the rule they put on him. So <laughs> that's my theory. Um, next up is Mr. Spieth, who... Weird year. Has the mono, doesn't feel good, gets engaged, doesn't have the off-season practice, wanted to make putts last week in Houston. He makes putts, and he has a bad day, and then he suddenly, out of nowhere, puts up a number, contends yesterday, and finishes third. Um, is he like Phil? Is he going to drive down Magnolia Lane and feel some good... Um, feelings in, in his body and, and get the swagger back? Because for Jordan, it's swagger as much as anything else, in my opinion. He got a swagger by making that bogey on 13 at Brookdale last last year, and he was a different man the rest of the day. He wasn't playing very well, but the way he was 13 through 18, uh, sorry, the bogey putt on 13 through 18 is a different guy than he was the rest of that day. Do you think he'll find the swagger? I don't know. I mean, obviously the results that have been pretty good for, for George Spieth at the Masters. Uh, it's kind of hard to argue that. But I, I, I just feel like he misses enough short putts that he should make. Seven, eight feet and in, six feet and in. It's, it's just not well. I mean, he makes 95% of those, but he's still not well ranked on the PGA Tour. And if you miss one of those, you miss two of those in a tournament. That's two other places where you've got to find pars from bogeys or birdies from pars. That's a fine, razor-thin margin at the Masters. So my concern is, even if he lets one or two of those get away from him, it's, the board is just too good for him to win. So I don't, I don't think that he's going to win, but I, I do like that he, he believes that he has found something. Justin Thomas said throughout January that he was playing better than the results indicated. And I believe him, and you should believe him. He knows his game, and look what he's done since. If Speed says he's found something, then I have to believe him. I just don't think that he's figured out how to putt inside of six feet to his total comfort yet, and I think that might get him. But I do think he will contest. Uh, Ricky is the last name on this list. He's got a weekend problem, Ryan. He's got this weird weekend thing where he just cannot get going when it turns to Saturday and Sunday. It, it's bizarre. He's got Butch Harmon as his coach who should be telling him all the things he needs to hear. I wanted to pick him this week, and I thought 2018 would be the year that he gets it together. But this past weekend kind of made me not believe in that. Agreed. Yeah, quite simply, I just, I just don't think it's there. I thought it was last year. Uh, the tournament, you know, the Masters and the PGA Championship, it's close to PGA, uh, but it wasn't there at the Masters when it needs to be in the final round. And until he comes in and pulls it out in the final round, it doesn't go the first six, seven holes in one over par and really languishes, puts himself behind the eight ball. I, I just, 
don't feel comfortable picking him to win a major championship. So I'm at the point with him where I just want to see him prove prove it all wrong, prove everybody wrong and do it. But until then, I I can't run with confidence with him. Uh, Does Ian Poulter have a chance, or is he just going to be drained after everything he went through on Sunday? I don't know. I mean, maybe drained, but he was probably pretty drained after the match play, and he made it happen. So he's got three top ten Masters finishes. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I wouldn't be shocked if he had a nice little top 20. Could be. That, that, that sounds about right. Um, for my money, we're talking to Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up, obviously, about the Masters. All right. It's down to the good stuff. Your international sleeper. Mine is Dylan Fratelli. I love his game. I love what he did at college. He has a win in 2018. I love Dylan Fratelli this week. I like Brandon Great. I feel like he's coming around. Um, I mean, obviously, he's contended a number of major championships, but I don't talk about Brandon Grace very much. I feel like he's coming around. He hasn't played especially well in the Masters in the past, but just kind of like what I've seen of him uh, so far this year. I think he could he could play up something with the you know, South Africans seem to like this place. Your sleeper from the United States of America, it's 50 states, territories, and other lands that it calls its own. Mine is Charlie Hoffman because Charlie Hoffman plays well. Uh, uh, here, you'll find this funny. I'm at the dinner uh, two weeks ago, and uh, one of my buddies goes, you are guaranteed Friday night to have Soren Kjeldsen and Charlie Hoffman at the top of the leaderboard. I said, I think you're on to something, except that Soren Kjeldsen is not in the field. And I looked it up, and indeed, Soren Kjeldsen is not in the Masters field. But that's why Charlie's my sleeper. I like Kevin Chappell. Uh, he did really well at, at Riviera. Uh, that's where he went to school, UCLA. I uh, had a nice finish last year, T7. I've seen his game all year. It's been quietly very consistent. Nothing extraordinary compared to, obviously, the guys that are kind of the favorites in that top 15 or 20 players in the field, but he's played extremely consistent golf all year. Uh, weather. 86 tomorrow. 73 with AM thunderstorms on Thursday. 69 and sunny on uh, Thursday. 78 and sunny on Friday. 59 with wind and rain on Saturday and 64 and partly cloudy on Sunday. Uh, this is what I would call a decent Masters forecast for Roars. Um, but that's not what we talk about here on Teeing It Up. We talk about how weather affects the actual golf tournament, not Roars. Um, I find the Tuesday-Wednesday forecast fascinating. Hot and then rain. I think Thursday, 70, uh, sorry, 69 and sunny, and then Friday, 78 and sunny. They're going to have to be very careful with the golf course, in my opinion, because they could lose it to heat issues and or the rain will keep it soft. I think Thursday, Friday is gettable, and we could see a 64. Maybe. Thursday, Friday is definitely gettable. It's going to be a tail of two golf tournaments. You have a Thursday, yeah. Friday run as far under as you can before it starts playing like a really long golf course. And Saturday and Sunday, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to really have to earn it. Sunday won't be as, as difficult as Saturday. I think there may be a potential for starting and stopping on Saturday, but I I expect that the establishing a lead for the weekend could be at seven or eight under par, and it might not change much from there. Maybe ten under par wins. Ryan Ballinger from Golf News Net, your winner 
the Masters Golf Tournament. And who will be receiving the green jacket from Jim Nance and Butler Cabin on Sunday night in six days is... Justin Rose. Hmm. Hottest player in golf, but as we talked about earlier this year, did he peak too soon? That's the question. Uh, but I think we're going to get a very, no matter who wins, we're going to have a really cool answer to whoever whoever wins. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the best masters ever, and I, and I would be, again, shocked if it turns out to be a dud. And we didn't talk about Sergio or uh, Rom in depth, or DJ in depth, or Rose in depth. There's so many names. This field is so good. Uh, there are so many names that we just did not get to. My winner, as I said, it is JT. Uh, uh, do you have a national title game winner tonight, Nova or Michigan? I'm going with Nova. They just rain down threes, and you kind of can't defend that if you're Michigan. You just put a hand up and hope. Nova is who I picked in my bracket, and I would like some money, so I need Nova. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Ballinger, thanks as always for coming on teeing, with, uh, teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Thanks, Jeremy. That ends my Masters previews. I hope you enjoyed them. They were a lot of fun to do, and it's a lot of me talking and other people talking. So enjoy, enjoy the Masters, enjoy everything, and we will see you next time on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Good night. <laughs>